18, 19. CJR, that's how you count. I have 20 fingers and toes together, so I can count to 20. I'm good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I have 20 fingers for a second. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I have been to Chernobyl, so all things are possible. But uh, we don't want to talk Thank about so that. It's a family-friendly show. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let us put the fun in dysfunction. And we will interview today Miss Chloe Gardner. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Hey guys, I am Chloe Garner. I am the author of a, a large number of sci-fi fantasy and urban fantasy series, and I'm really excited to talk about them. Outstanding. See, she she's done this before, Doc. She didn't she didn't giggle like you did. She's more professional. Jeez. I didn't giggle. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what you call it. All right. So how did we first find uh-oh? Put that down, put the toys down. <laughs> So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So I actually found her. Uh, she's a virtual assistant for several authors I work with. And uh, and so when I saw her book out, I knew we had to have her on the show. So, so, so there's a funny story here. I think that you have confused me with somebody else. <laughs> Oops. I know there's a Chloe I talked to. And she's going to be like, you didn't know I was special? You confused me with other people? If it makes you feel any better, this is something that happens a lot. There are like this huge number of Chloe Garners in the world who always forget their initial when they give out their email addresses. So I am subscribed to wine tasting lessons and to yoga in the park. And I get interview solicitations. Are there even parks that you live in? No, they're across the country. And I got the, you forgot to sign your scorecard from a competitive long drive golfer that I share a name with. And I felt really bad because I didn't know whether to email them back and tell them that she's not going to show up and sign her scorecard because this is the wrong email address. I don't know what it is, but I can list for you the Chloe Garners around the world who forget their mental initial when they give out their email address. So, so we are Chloe, we are Legion. So I'm sorry. You got it wrong. We are Chloe, we are Legion. He should have changed it from Bob. Is that what you're saying? I, yeah. Yeah. There, there are many of us and we do many things. Do, do you have a, like, what's the funniest professional Chloe Gardner that you've run across? Um, I got one from a, for a vet that I got just a lot of stuff where her family wanted her to move and they were sending her listings for other places for her to go. <laughs> They're nice. wonderful. She oh. might've appreciated that you were getting that. <laughs> it's entirely possible that she did that one on purpose. <laughs> that sounds like something I would do and just go, you know, I'm ADHD. I forgot I had an initial. What? Middle name? When did that happen? All right. So, uh, so then I don't know how I found your newsletter, but I'm sure it was awesome because I didn't leave it. <laughs> Always a great sign. <laughs> it's, it's probably then because I did, oh, for a couple years, every time there was, you know, you could win a free book. And I'm like, sure, why not? I'll sign up. 
Here, you know what, Jr. We should just do a podcast. All the Chloe Garners. We could. <laughs> we, we should do I that. I would love to meet them. I, like, I've, like... been, I've been messing with their lives for years. I feel like I owe them an apology. Did you? Well, you could do like the Joshes did. Did you hear about that? Like they had, um, they said that there could only be the one true Josh, and they like had a meeting where they like had a duel to the end, and they were fighting with lightsabers involved. I think. Yeah, lightsabers and pool noodles, and apparently a twelve-year-old kid, a twelve-year-old kid beat them all. I am very. I haven't heard of that one, but I am very familiar of the Chronicles of David. Oh, go on. It's a it's an anthology that Bane did. Every author, including the editor and the cover artist, were all named David. Oh, that's clever. I like that. That's I mean, if they fun. did one for JRs, I'm game because then I can get Tolkien on the same page as me and maybe I'll sell more copies. No. <laughs> no I mean, he's got an extra R, but, you know, who's counting? Well, you kind of like are two di very different genres. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're going to admit that readers read across multiple genres. <laughs> some do, some don't. Statistics aren't on your side on this one, Doc, and you like the science. Statistics are on my side. We can argue about this offline. We're going to bore everyone. You know what a standard deviation is? <laughs> like, you lost me at math when the alphabet and the numbers started having that little relationship drama. Like, I was done. All right? But let's they ask are, a religion question. They are. My kindergartner, when I had one, could do is recite the standard deviation formula. Come on. <laughs> public school math. Don't blame me. <laughs> he goes to public school. What's your point? I He's got you who's like ADHD about math. I shot real good. That was my special skill. I could hit things far away. <laughs> and yet, look at where you do now. <laughs> it's running a long way. That's right. Have gun, will travel doesn't get you very far when you're broken. So instead, I tell lies and write books. But uh, Doc, religion question. Let's get on it. Come on, Jesus. Okay. So Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Firefly every day of the week. I love the humor and the, the sense of timing and the fact that you get to write, that you get to experience a small story with all of this stuff going on with these characters and just the, the sense of play that that whole cast had was amazing. It is, you're right though, it is a small story focusing on a small group and how these bigger events affect them, which is really real, how most people live their lives. It is. It's very personal. It absolutely is. So now on to fantasy religion, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or Wheel of Time. All of these are very epic. Lord of the Rings. Legless was life-changing. <laughs> he is. Go on. No, the elephants that? was just profound for me. It's I, I'll, I'll own that the movies are sort of the 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 hitching up point for me over the books i've read the books i love the books but the 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 character of legless the way that he turned into a a, a battlefield parkour expert <laughs> i get it that was that was a profound set of movies for me it was like oh wow this could be really fun and really cool and and the 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 technology progression that they made with those movies was just astounding to me. I was so excited by them. My oh, favorite yeah. story it's... about the uh, those movies is when Doc tells about her dad falling asleep and waking up hours later. Are they still walking? Okay, and goes back to bed. <laughs> he asked me if we'd pause the movie. <laughs> it would be a reasonable conclusion. 
Although I will say the movies benefited of the, because they could do things visually that a book can't do. You could get away from some of the ad nauseum descriptions that Tolkien was famous for. Yeah. I mean, I like a lot of details, but even he pushes it a little bit for me. No, the, the strengths of books are the internal monologue and the internal lives of the characters that you just have such a hard time capturing on a screen. And the strength of the screen is to be able to put everything visually in front of you and just yeah. have it exist. Don't have to call attention to it. It's just there. And I'm jealous of that. That's that's something I would love to to be able to participate in playing in that medium at some point. And, and then you just, discover the Uber fans who zero in on those details. Like insane. There, the other thing that an actor can do that you have trouble duplicating is just the the uh, the nonverbal cues, just with body language that if you describe, yeah. don't always come off the same. And then mm -hmm. add to that whatever personality the actor already brings. So, like, if you've got a type actor who's known for this type and you see him in this role, you automatically backfill some of that information without anything ever being said. That's so true. Yeah. So No, you have to pick the one thing that's really worth talking about when you're writing. And when you've got all of your facial expressions to work with, it's just it's 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 having multiple limbs instead of a finger to work. Yeah, it's it's so much more dynamic. It's it's it a is. different medium. Yeah. I have liked um, watching The Witcher where the lead actor is as into The Witcher as any fan is. He is. He's he's a really cool guy. Every time I read about him, I'm convinced. He's he's just really into roles. My my brother was just making fun of his Warhammer army. So <laughs> he goes, I'm going to find flaws for you. <laughs> is he just jealous because his army's better? His army is more about looking pretty than function, if you read the rules. And I went, yeah, but look at the function he has. <laughs> look at the pretty he has. It's okay. Yeah, where there's just like, it's not how this works and you know it. <laughs> I, I tried back when, uh, well, they've changed some of the rules with Warhammer now, but I tried to get into it when my son was initially. I'm like, crap, this is a lot of math. And that's why he left. They, we had like a, a ruler to do angles and arcs and all that. They, they've simplified it since then, I'm told. But I was like, I, I, they lost me with the algebra in the game. Yeah. So my dad sucks at rolling. He, I've seen him play Warhammer and you play it all with D6s. And, I've, and one is bad. And I've seen him roll 21s at once. I, I've got bad luck on dice rolls too. We we had a session recently where I, I swung and a miss seventeen times in a row, and I could, you got to picture that in your head. Wow, wow, I, I'm just picturing the like the, the enemy like being nice and cool because my sword swinging over their head was cooling them off, and they just kept missing. It's like a ceiling so, fan, right? <laughs> I was keeping the draft going. It was hot. <laughs> I was trying to be considerate, but anyway. Okay, so. Getting back on topic, uh, what is your? Uh oh, Doc froze. We broke. Yeah. Her. So, uh, what about your fantasy? I'm sorry. What was your first? Which love? is your first love? Sci-fi or fantasy? Oh, okay. Um, if you go back far enough, it's got to be fantasy. I probably read six mm -hmm. different books titled "The Last Unicorn" as a young child. I loved magic and and the the girl who marches off to do important things and discovers that she's powerful and magical in a world that's bigger and better than she knew um so i really i i probably did stew in that considerably as a very young child 
Um, but I went through a phase where science fiction was everything. And I grew up a lot with the the science fiction along the lines of Honor Harrington and that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's really a lot of fun. And thinking about how can things be in a bigger world is really cool. So I'm, I'm probably a, a fantasy babe at the end of the day, but I've, I've, I've put a, I, I've, I've lived in both worlds. I get that. I'm the same way. So Jared, did you want to say something? No, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with that. I, I like a little bit of both. Jared just likes any girl who goes on an adventure. He's very easy like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got standards. They have to have a pulse. Jeez. Yeah. No, they don't. <laughs> Jared's number one pickup line is, want to go on an adventure with me? <laughs> it's no, not, but now I might have to try it just to see if it actually works because you said this. But... There's a certain kind of person you're looking for with that line. <laughs> I'm not okay. sure you're looking for them where they're just the only ones who will say yes. Doc, we were going to be nice today. <laughs> what? This was, this was like nice Thursday. You didn't know that? What? I thought it was a day that ended in Y. One of these days, Doc. One of these days. I'm going to fire you. I'm going to dock your pay. It's going to be all over. Oh, JR, if only you could figure out the math in order to do it. So, but what is, <laughs> what's your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it watching TV, a cartoon, the book, The Last Unicorn? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, I actually, one of my earliest memories as a child was laying on the ground in the living room watching Fantasia. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I forgot about that. And I sat up in the middle of the brooms won't stop dumping water and the, all the dramatic music. And I am young enough that this is traumatic. I am afraid for Mickey, y'all. And I turned <laughs> around and my parents are gone. And the world oh. just came crashing in with a sense of, oh, no, it's never going to be okay again. So I can't watch Fantasia. <laughs> oh, my it's God. Traumatic. I get that. <laughs> Because it makes me feel alone and sad. <laughs> so did you pass that torment on to your, your child? I, I, I've tried not to abandon them watching movies. My dad did it to me again with Silence of the Lambs, though. Oh, that's really not okay. Many years later, but Silence of the Lambs, I was certain I was not watching it alone. I look over and he's gone. Mm -mm. Not that you're holding a grudge or anything. My dad never left. He just started sleeping. We used to joke, okay, it must be family time. <laughs> so, he grounded me once in his sleep. Does it still count if he's asleep? Did you ever ask what you did? Uh, no, we did ask what we did, and he didn't know. He didn't answer. And then the next day, he goes, why are you? I'm, I'm going to like watch, watch a show or something. He goes, what are you doing? You're grounded. And I went, I'm not grounded. Yes, you are. What did I do? And he goes, I don't remember, but I remember you being grounded. <laughs> uh, hopefully he doesn't listen to your trauma therapy session right here on the podcast. Oh, but we still tease him about it. If he does, hi, Dad. I mean, you might as well say hi to him. <laughs> so, uh, the <laughs> he knows better. So what is it you love about speculative fiction as a genre? Speculative fiction as a, 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 a as a, an audience is just a place to go and play. 
anything is possible. You don't know what's coming next. You don't predict it. You don't fight with it. You just go with it. And being able to sell yourself into a, a fiction world like that is just freeing. And I love it. As a writer, the reason that I absolutely adore speculative fiction is because you don't have to have rules. So you can ask really, really important questions and talk about them in a really sincere and a really earnest way, but you're not going against something that somebody already believes about the way that the world works. You can set up a world where these are the things that are true and you just go with it and you ask interesting questions without getting bogged down in all of the, the, the arguments about what's really true in this story. And I love being able to walk characters through situations where you can ask those kind of questions and, and get answers that they're, they're clean and they're beautiful and they're really interesting to, to think about. And sometimes they show you kind of how you, what you think way more than you ever thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you discover yourself writing speculative fiction. You, you, you learn a lot about yourself. Fair. All right. What have you learned about yourself? Anything exciting besides that you're afraid <laughs> of Fantasia? Um, no, no Fantasia. The music still gets me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, it's really interesting because you, you have writers who quote, or you have readers who quote lines back and you're like, oh, that actually is insightful. Did I write that? No, <laughs> that's not possible. I don't write insightful things. I write silly things. I write vampires. Um, and it's, it's going back and reading the things that your characters say in honesty and going, oh my gosh, I had a, a character look at one of my main characters and say, I think that what's important about friends is that when you are considering whether or not you should do something, the good friends say, if this is a thing you need to do, do it. If it's a mistake, don't do it. But the really good friends say, if this is a mistake you need to make, make it. And I was like, you know, I actually do believe that. <laughs> that's uh, that's right up there with that old expression. Uh, a, a friend will bail you out of jail. A good friend will be in the cell right next to you. Mm -hmm. It's very much what my friend said about some guy I tried dating after my divorce. She's like, it's a rebound. But if you need to, go ahead. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for that. So uh, how did your love of speculative fiction as the wider umbrella genre transition into you writing stories in that space? Um. I was a, a book worm growing up. I, I checked out two books a day in middle school from the school library and turned them in before I got on the bus every day. I oh, read, wow. You read fast. I Well, I read during class because I was bored. And then I, I read in the that. hallway and I watched people's feet to make sure I wasn't going to walk into them. Um, so I, mean, I, I can understand that. I did that. So people in the did, books were did, much more interesting than my peers. Did you I ever had, hide the book behind your textbook and hold it up like you're just really into that algebra book or whatever? Yeah, I, I put it in my mad. lap and had a notebook on the desk with a pencil in my hand. And I would be looking down, reading the book in my lap with the pencil in my hand on the notebook. And I had a math teacher who totally busted me. And she would take my book on the way into the classroom every day because I was not allowed to read in her classroom. I was going to pay attention. And that was when I started writing fiction. And my first book was a, a girl who left home to go be a squire for the king. You know, I started in fantasy and it was it was because they took my book. 
So I'm going to write my own now. Thank you. So that math teacher, we owe, we owe her a thank for the, for this book that's out there. Well, thank you, Miss math teacher. All right. What was that for doc? You you okay. I'm laughing at you, not with you. I know it's part of your charm. So many authors <laughs> let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that you think shapes the kind of stories you tell? Um, there are a lot of them that are in little ways and I go back and I read them and I'm like, I, I remember what I was feeling in this moment. Um, there was a, a point writing a book at the beginning of lockdown where you're not allowed to touch anybody and everybody's staying inside and you haven't really had any normal interaction in a while. And I put a family on a spaceship that they had been isolated for three years on the run from the law. And the, the very first reaction he has is somebody else comes onto the spaceship is I don't know whether to hit you or hug you. Yeah. There was that moment of the first person you saw after, uh, when we were first beginning to go back outside. And it's like, I don't know you that well. And we like, uh, like I have your phone number to text you if your house is on fire and stuff, but I really want to hug you right now. <laughs> and that, that sense of, I don't know, it's so overwhelming to be with a person again. And that was one of those moments where it's like, you know, I'm just going to write this the way I feel right now. I don't normally do a lot of really specific stuff like that, but that was just such an overwhelming moment. I had to, to capture what that felt like and put it into a book because that was the only way to get through it. It's a good way to do it. It's that or drink. And sometimes people look at you funny when you day drink, Doc. <laughs> what? Nobody looks at me funny. <laughs> I'm just saying, we start know. to wonder what's in that water thermos you carry to work. Oh, we know what's and, in the water thermos. Caffeine. And I'm just wondering if what you put in that water thermos that's... Um, <clears throat> Whatever. My lab manager doesn't like bacon and doesn't drink coffee. He's the weird one. Fair, but I, I'm just wondering if that lab fire was any relation to the day drinking. I'm it was not a lab about. fire. It was a propane fire. And it was next door. Uh huh, that's a likely story, but anyway, it's your turn. Putting these photos in the group so people understand what you're talking about. You sh oh, you shared it on your personal page, not the okay, fair. No, I shared it on uh, apparently JR is referring to the fact that on um, Martin Luther King Day, the company next door to my company had a fire at it with where 60 propane tanks were on fire. That's a big candle. It was right? a very good candle. It could have been a much worse candle, too. So that's what JR, it was kind of cool to watch. Oh, I bet. Go stand out. and It's it's somebody else's loss, so you can enjoy it. Well, admittedly, my car was right next to the fire truck, so I was a little nervous about it, too. But uh, we, there was, like, one that on up above the power tower. Oh, man. No, I've taken a bunch of the industrial safety training, and oxygen tanks are dangerous, yo. Yes, they are. CJ, so some people are smart. And then there's. Ouch. All right, Doc, ask the next question. Jeez. <laughs> okay. So normally we prep this in advance, but JR has been uh, sleeping or day drinking. Make up your mind. Um, so, did you ever serve in the military? I have not, but it's actually been a, a really significant influence 
in me and how I think and, and view the world and also as a writer, because I had three grandparents involved in wars and I had two uncles that were ranked in the military. And it's just really common within my extended family, the, the number of men and women who have served in the military. So I really like writing people who have had those experiences because it's a big part of my family and, and, and my life. Um, it's not my immediate family, and sometimes I, I, I try to stay away from the, the nitty-gritty details because I haven't been there. I haven't done that. So I'm looking at, at characters who are outside of a military family or are, are retired from the military and that kind of stuff. And those are just really interesting characters because they're strong people, and I really respect and admire that. Oh, look, Jair, she saved your bacon with a good, great answer, actually. You know, I want bacon. That's just me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, he did that on purpose. Would I do something like that? But no, I I agree. It definitely seeps into the overall family psyche. Uh, so particularly when it's multiple people. But have speaking of people, have you had any neat fan interactions? Somebody do fan art, cosplay of a character yet? I actually have, it was an Ooh. early series, but uh, a friend of mine um, actually spent time in Brazil learning how to make headdresses. This is one of her life passions. And after she read one of my series, she sent me a picture of a headpiece that she had done inspired by an implanted interpreter that my characters have that translates language. And it was this really cool sci-fi piece with all these pieces sort of strung together in flat plastic around the, oh my the, gosh. the headpiece. It was so cool. So um, that's amazing. If someone yeah. signed up for your newsletter, and I'll throw the link to that in the show notes, could you share that picture? I might be able to dig that up. I could probably do that. So this will air uh, in February. So if you sign up, dear listener, she'll try to put it in the March <laughs> newsletter. I'm giving her more work. She just got voluntold. Got to take my notes. <laughs> That's why he was an NCO. <laughs> yep. Because if, if someone was going to get bossed around, it wasn't going to be me, dang it. No, it was you. You just turn around and boss somebody else around in response. Well, I had lots of practice being bossed around. I mean, I was a corporal three times, and I, I played with the rank structure for a little bit. So, you know, it happens to the best of us. Look, you apparently know. they get a little mad when the general asks your opinion and he you give him your opinion. He wants his opinion sounding pretty back to him. You they should have warned me. Somehow I managed to survive doing just that. You had an <laughs> asset I didn't. Yes, I did. I really didn't care anymore. <laughs> I was going to say a charming personality because we're keeping this family friendly. But not caring is an asset. So, but uh, do you have any... Like, what is your funniest or weirdest fan interaction since you started writing? Okay. Um, I had back, 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 back in the day, one of my OG readers. Um, she was up in northern Canada so far that you had to take a plane to get there. And so we would send these really long emails back and forth because it was a fun thing to do. Um, and she lived in a part of the country where, um, where were polar bears would wander through town sometimes. And the way that they dealt with it is if the polar bear gets familiar with the town, they have to shoot it. Ooh. So the locals, anytime a polar bear hit town, would go rally to drive it off in their cars. And she sent me pictures from inside a car driving off a polar bear. 
And these are prized to me, these pictures that she sent me, because that was so cool. The locals rallying to save the polar bears in their cars. That's awesome. She was really fun to talk to. Her stories were really neat. And it's it's so cool getting to talk to readers and the, the, the places that they are, because I live in my house and write books that are in places that don't exist. I love hearing about places that do exist. And that, yeah, you can really pull in and find a way to incorporate it, especially yeah. you know, frozen cold worlds do exist. And and no no plane a plane in and out. You don't have infrastructure to get stuff in and out. What does life feel like there? We talked a lot about what is what do you do for recreation and what does it feel like to have your family so far away that you have to schedule a plane to get out and when the the storms come you really are just on your own. There's a lot of thought that goes into those kinds of yeah, Absolutely. no, I mean, I've lived on the end of the supply chain. That's a new level, though. It's not quite dog sled, but it, yeah, 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 it's it's a it's a really interesting place to be in polar bears. Polar bears are cool. Did it make you want to move there? Oh, not even a little bit. I am so <laughs> cold natured. I am sitting with a blanket and I'm in my house. So I can understand this, that. I am too. <laughs> this is the part where uh, we get to ask Chloe about everything she has ever written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest um, yes. of your body of works? Yeah. Um, I started with an urban fantasy, dark fantasy, kind of a, a series roaming around the country, killing baddie demons and and uh, creatures and, and things would go bump in the night chasing down ghosts. Um, and it was really a series of my heart that I had to write. And you can tell that it's my first series. But when I ask readers what series should I do more books of, half of them ask for that. So the people that it connected with, they really connected a lot. And then my second series, I promptly went to science fiction world hopping with aliens because I do speculative fiction on a broad spectrum. And yeah, and yeah, I, I love I all love the genre fluid. I love all of it. So jumping around from planet to planet and a, an interpreter in your head so that we don't have to worry about language stuff. And let's just go create planets and see what the conflict there is and go throw ourselves into it. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I did a paranormal detective series called Tell the Detective, um, where we're running around with all of the creatures and then a bunch that I invented and solving mysteries and saving people and and everything is at night and, and it's really snarky and and i have no diagnosable sense of humor but they are funny <laughs> i can understand that when i try and be funny i'm not i am not funny and uh, i have two brothers and a son and they are more than willing to tell me that i am not funny and then when i don't mean to be funny they're like that was actually funny you should do that more and i'm like no. i'm serious <laughs> stop hurting my feelings um <clears throat> So from there, I did a series uh, called The Carbon Chronicles, which is a, a, a smuggler crew on a spaceship held together by a genius engineer and not much else. And they're running around and trying to stay under the law. And they end up with a, um, a very mysterious, very, very powerful, strong woman with a temper and a history. And now they're on everybody's radar and trying not to get dead. Um, and then... <laughs> <laughs> I've got an Academy series running around um, with, you know, the, the very typical cast of 
of teenage kids trying to save the world because their parents are all also trying to save the world. Um, and now I am working on a brand new series of high fantasy. Woo, woo. Um, I needed to hit all the bases on the way by. <laughs> um, and that's where we stand today is with a, a brand new high fantasy series in the process of coming out. Nice. And if you were, if she was in Colorado, that high fantasy would have a whole nother connotation. It very much would. I will give all you right. that. <laughs> so that was, that was my humor. The dad jokes for the win. But uh, right now, before we dive into the book itself that we brought her here for, we're going to take a moment where we shamelessly shill for shill the man. for the ladies. Shill for the ladies, too, if they want, if they read books. Having taken her father's throne, Sarah Calhoun has fallen out with one of her best allies, and her brother Nathaniel heads into Imperial Philadelphia with a reckless plan. Her uncle Thomas, armed with new powers and new allies, aims to remove Sarah from her throne and from the world of the living. To survive and to gain the strength she needs to fight an impossible war, Sarah must unite the Mound Builder Kings to enact an ancient rite that will propel her beyond mortality. Servant Daughter by T.J. Butler is the newest entry in the Dragon Award-winning Witchy War series from Bane Books at BaneBooks.com. Um, so we promise we won't make JR dance. Well, it was too late. We already aired the commercial. So, but anyway, thanks for sticking with us. She mocked me the whole time, people. I don't know what we're going to do with her. I might have to fire her. So if you want to be a podcast host, <laughs> I'm just saying hey. there might be an opening. All right. But uh, you better you have remember, better organizational skills than I have because otherwise you're flummoxed. <laughs> Comics. I like that word. I might have to use it. But uh, if you remember back, she had a really long list. That she, was, uh, she had a very long list of books. It was very genre fluid, as Doc likes to say. But today, we are here to talk about the Queen's, Queen's Chair. So where did you get the premise for that universe? How did you come up with the idea for the series? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, uh, too much of the adult sippy cup with the um, carbonated beverages? Um, I actually, I knew that I wanted to do fantasy and I'd been sort of fishing around for what that fantasy was going to be and when. Um, and I ended up with the the spark for this series sort of lighting a, a forest fire and all of these characters that had been sitting around on, on they, they'd been developed and just didn't have a setting or a context at all. And they all just sort of Velcroed themselves to this this world, this series. And all, every time I touched it for about six months, it sprang another series. Um, <laughs> wow, that sounds like it's giving you a headache still. <laughs> it's very stimulating, and we'll see if I can keep it contained, which I never do. Um, so you got to ride the lightning. Yes, that very much that. And I knew that I, I knew that I wanted to do a series in a sort of medieval Renaissance kind of a, a technological era with the the ideas of chivalry and honor and duty and um, not quite all of the, the same technological concerns that we have working in a modern era uh, series. Um, if you want to talk to somebody, you have to walk over and do that. A completely different setup. Um, <laughs> Unless you have like mind control because it's magic. You it's can do that. It's true. It's true. And and you got your crystal balls for looking in. I don't have any of those, but you're right. Fantasy does have ways of, of replacing the cell phone. Um, but no, it was one of those things I really wanted to do. And this town, this city, this this whole world just sort of erupted from an idea that I needed to do this. And I started drawing maps. I don't do that, but I have maps for this world because that's how big it got on me very quickly. So is that something you would eventually share with your readers as well? 
Oh, absolutely. My, my husband actually procured the services of a wood engraver tool and made a wood engraved map of the main city for me for Christmas. I cried. Oh, <laughs> that is amazing. What did, just because I'm nerding out over maps, I like cartography. What uh, did you draw it by hand? What, um, so, so when he, he just took your hand sketched and, and transposed it and he went and did all of the nerdy sort of graphing tools online slash apps slash whatever he's he's very apt at the the the, the technological side of converting images into um design drawings and he converted it into into a design drawing that is literally identical to my original drawing i actually told him this bridge right here is wrong and he's like no it's not <laughs> and, I went and, I looked, and he was right that bridge is so exactly where i put it so the good news is every time you do a woodworking project where you end with all your fingers, it's a good day. It, yep, that's true. I've been uh, I've been trying to teach myself how to use the campaign cartographer three CC three uh, program to to learn the map making skills because my drawing sucks. I mean, I never made it past stick figures, but um, and if you if you caught it when I was asking about the psychedelic question, I didn't I didn't mean carbonated beverages. I meant fermented. But you know me and science, we don't always get along. So. Doc was laughing at me and, sn and snickering. But I mean, if you want to put the carbonated beverage in a hip flask. And sparkling I mean, wine are carbonated. <laughs> who drinks, from. No, 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 no. You don't drink wine. That's no, no. You got to drink something more manly. Give you a nice bourbon and put hair on your chest. JR, <laughs> I do drink bourbon. I don't have any hair there. You're not drinking the right ones, clearly. Um, but No, uh, you just need to groom more. <laughs> so uh we do need to because we did the sponsorship already if there are any liquor companies listening because why wouldn't you i mean we're down to take some sponsorships we drink enough of it but uh <laughs> in the meantime we're going to talk about the reason we found chloe and brought her on the show and that's because this epic image of a cover uh, was so glorious i knew doc would want to talk to her just based on that cover it's an amazing so, cover how did you come up with uh with this cover where did it come to be and i'm going to zoom into parts of it so you can see all yes. the details. She is amazing. Um, okay, so authors hang no. out on, on pre-made cover sites and just watch everything going by. It's market research and self-temptation all the time. And this came up as a pre-made. And I went, doggone it, I know that character. I've written that character. All she needs is a world and I'm good to go. The problem was I was in the middle of writing the the carbon chronicles at that point i'm on a spaceship and i don't have time for this so i figured i would let some other lucky author pick this one up and i would be sad for the rest of my life that i didn't get to write the story but i'm sad for the rest of my life for not getting to write all kinds of stories that's just life and i kept going back and it's further and further and down the facebook page and i'm scrolling for for tens of minutes sometimes to go see if this is sold yet because i need to know that it's sold and like four months later, where it's buried, and I'm the only one who knows it, it exists at this point. There's no way it's, I, I, I finally was like, okay, no, I'm doing this. This is my cover. This is my character. This is my world. I am in, I am doing this. And like, I went and I bought the, the, the cover. I bought three more to go with it because I write trilogies that are poorly named as trilogies because I always write four in the end. Um, <laughs> and as soon as I touched it, I started finding other characters that needed to be in this world. 
And so I've got pirates running around. And I told you I read The Last Unicorn like 14 times. I've told myself since since I was like 12 that writing horse stories is for children. And I am not allowed to do that because I will regress and write something very childish. And I finally gave myself permission to write a story with horses in it. And all of a sudden the horses all lived in this world too. So I've got a horse series coming in this world. And yeah, no, it just, <laughs> just immediately exploded on me. <laughs> so did you come up with a justification for the uh for the eye mask yes it's in the very first scene of the book she's at a costume party and her big sister is really furious at her that she's not in proper dress and she says what i'm wearing a mask i like it <laughs> I, I approve. that I like sounds the, like something i would say <laughs> I, I really like the detail with this uh the background behind her with the the whatever you call the the shapes it looks like they may be gargoyles but not quite it's hard mm -hmm. to tell the but statuary that, the statuary it has Ooh, that depth word. to it and then the the filigreed like um work behind her with the with the leaves and, and mm -hmm. all of that and the lattice work the tooling no it yeah. just totally makes her so iconic the 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 whole image is just on her and that's how she lives her life i knew this character by spirit and by appearance the minute i saw her so, see, I need a doc to tell me all the words. And honest, I write for a living. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap, that's not having names. All you know is my mother made sure I had a good vocabulary. Mine did too. I can cuss in several languages. <laughs> I thought that was army and you're not, not that. Well, I mean, I was a military brat, so it's the same thing. Oh, so we can bring blame Daddy Seaman? That sounded bad. That sounds really bad. We're going to move on from that poorly written joke. And uh, we will blame <laughs> Russia or Nick Garber because he's not here. <laughs> oh, we're totally blaming Nick. Dang you, Nick. How dare you write such bad jokes for her? He's, he's our co-host who's busy doing Coast Guard. Well, no. He's playing with the Coast Guard for Homeland Security. <laughs> he, he played on boats, okay? It's the same thing. <laughs> totally getting hate mail from all the Coasties, though. They're like, no, it's not the same thing. So if you, if you want to send the hate mail, it's Seska at BlastersAndBladesPodcast.com. <laughs> Just Seska at BlastersAndBladesPodcast.com. Mm -hmm. It's not. You what are the nice. people are actually going to email that and be like it doesn't work it's a dead email. <laughs> it's a dead email because it's a non-existent email and yet JR still likes to give it to everybody. <laughs> I, well, I don't have like a Chloe Gardner type email where I could be like, "Hey, send it to Chloe Gardner with no middle initial." I'll take it. <laughs> I pay attention <laughs> to the stories. <laughs> All right, doc. Next question. Save me from okay. Myself. So, where did the premise come from for this character? And, and her story arc. Um, she is the youngest daughter of a very, very wealthy merchant. And so her two older sisters married very successfully. And she, therefore, has all of the freedom in the world to be whoever she wants. Her father is happy for her to be ha happy and fulfilled. And she chases her passions and her interests. And she learns all kinds of strange things like how to climb buildings um, because she was interested and she saw somebody who could do it. Um, so she runs around in her, her dragon skins. They are nearly impervious and very, very lightweight armor that you can only buy if you have massive amounts of money. Um, and I know where they come from, but nobody else does. And um, she runs around the city doing whatever she wants to. And it's got this sense of this, this woman who is powerful and independent. And at the same time, 
looking for a place that she fits because she has rejected all of society as she's gone by on her adventures. So what would your 30 second elevator pitch be for the queen's chair? Oh, this is hard. Here we go. I practiced and everything and it's still really hard to do a 30 second. So Stacia Fieldinghorn is the youngest daughter of a very wealthy merchant. She is indulged, she is happy, and she is free. And when she lands on the shores of Verida, a city of magic and elves and pixies and danger, she lands in with the king's guard and is immediately in over her head. See, she, I can tell she practiced. She did a good job. That was well, well done. You might even have written your commercial. Ha! <laughs> So what is it that makes your series special and unique among epic fantasy quests, self-discoveries? Yeah. Um, I think that Stasia is a really big part of that because she is this huge personality unto herself. And she isn't a chosen one. She doesn't have any special powers other than the fact that her father has permitted her to go learn the things that interest her, but everything that she knows how to do, she learned for herself. She's kind of a Batman-esque character. Um, and she's not roaming around on the countryside. She is in a city where the, the dangers are all across the street. Um, and she's, she's hanging out with a crew, a, a squad of um, guardsmen who are each of them very individually, very interesting. They have their own stories and their own interests and in, in what they do. Um, but having her be a part of this really capable crew of um, quasi-military men, um, they're very capable and they go after challenges that are um, are worth going after because they're capable of doing it. And I, I think that her agency to go try stuff and find the challenges that she wants to take on um, make her a really special character. I like it that she's not quite so angst-ridden. That uh, can be a big trend these days. It absolutely can. And Stacia is the model of self-confidence. It doesn't <laughs> sound like she has the daddy issues that you see a lot of either. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So uh, what tropes do you think you really hit well with this series? Or even just you take that trope and you torture it into a new shape? Yeah. So I have my, my strong female lead. Um, almost everything that I do has that that big, strong female lead in it. And I love these characters. Um, I have a, a queen and castle and honor and duty tropes running around everywhere. Um, and then we've got our, our Kingsguard with the mysterious soldiers with a past and the the underworld graduates who are trying to make a way and, and let go of the strings that their underworld past kind of hold on to them with. Um, and then you have this rebellious daughter trope that I did turn upside down because she's not rebelling from her father at all. Her father completely approves of what, of what she's doing, even if she doesn't necessarily tell him all the details. And so she has a really happy, functional relationship with her dad. Um, and the, the, the rebellion is against the, the social structures that tell her what she's supposed to be. And she just does her own thing instead. That's awesome. I kind of like that. I get kind of sick and tired. I I think before I was a parent, I was less sick and tired of the my parents suck kind of thing. But I now know. I, I kind of take it a little more personally. Yeah. No, I I've I've written orphans 
but I try to avoid it because I like having healthy parents when I can afford to have them. I think they make for interesting characters too. I always wonder when they have like the young kids saving the world, like it would be a much better story if it was a cranky old one with person with nothing left to lose mm -hmm. who just had enough of everyone's shit. To me, that would be a more amusing story. I've read that story. It's really fun. <laughs> I've heard of this subgenre of urban fantasy that they're calling hot flash fiction. They may have other terms for it as well. Where Wait, the, what? The Go, tell me more. This sounds hilarious. Right, right. Um, and it's women of a certain age whose kids are mostly independent at this point who take their freedom and their their power because a woman over a certain age ascends above what other people think of her. And she becomes free in an entirely new way. And they run off and they save the world. Cause if anybody's going to do it, let's be honest, it's going to be a woman exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so okay. I don't feel like I am yet empowered to write that, but I so have a series like that in me coming in the future someday. Well, I, I think I think there's definitely, there's a certain point of because they're at that age and they're like, I've already done all those things. I've already checked the boxes. I don't need to worry about it. But I, I once told, had somebody tell me that I was almost like that. And I went, no, I'm just too exhausted to care about your shit. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I'm like, they're like, you're so real and honest. And I'm like, no, I'm just too exhausted to lie. Go away. <laughs> I think that's along the path. Get me more coffee if you want to keep talking. Through that to get to the end. So, yeah. <laughs> Poor JR. He's like, I don't know what to say. No, I just, this is one of those interviews where we've gone so far off the rails having fun that it's hard to keep track of what question we're supposed to be on. <laughs> oh, that's easy. <laughs> Not the one you're looking at. Um, <laughs> probably right. Probably so right. We've talked about kind of, well, we kind of answered some of the subgenres with the tropes. So now it would be 21, JR. Are you sure you can handle this? This is past the number of finger and toes you have. I will do what I can. 21. I think I can handle that. So uh, now let's <laughs> talk about the story itself. What makes your character unique in the crowded world of epic fantasy? So I think we've talked about Stacia a little bit. I think that your numbering schemes have gotten cross-wired. Probably. <laughs> No, uh, no I just you've talked to us about who she is as a character, but in the in the when you compare her to other characters in the same space where you write, what makes her stand out, do you think? As different yeah. than the, everyone that else? That she doesn't have daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's her independence and her sense of agency to go pick her own adventure. She's in a world with big expansive epic problems going on. There are wars and there are politics and there are economics and all of these things are happening. And she chooses which piece of each of those things she's going to go engage with. She's not blown around by the situation around her in quite the same way that I see a lot of the time. And then she's just really confident that she's got this. And it's not a sense of I can win this fight. It's that this is my fight. And this is the one that I'm going to go have. And, and I'm done worrying about it. And I really so, like that she doesn't spend all of her time thinking about, have I done it wrong? So in the world that this that this character exists in, is it abnormal for her to be this way? Or is, you know, is, is it truly medieval in that women are sort of closeted and cloistered? Or, or is she just another run-of-the-mill female for the world that you're writing her in? Sure. Sure. Um, where she comes from, she she is an immigrant oh! on day one. She she lands on the dock. 
um, in her world, it's unusual for a, a girl to be educated. Um, her sisters can read and do a little bit of math, but it's, it's special that they can. Um, and her level of education is something that's only provided to her because of her wealth and because of her background. But when she shows up in Verida, Verida is run by a queen. The, the seat of power is the queen. Um, and the queen is the sponsor of a university. And the university is about 50-50% women. Um, and the, the women of Verida are powerful. And they are involved. And they are decision makers. Um, so it's not quite the same sense of the, the, the truly medieval a woman is to be seen and not heard. Um, the women in Verida are important and they're involved. At the same time, um, business is run by men and assets are held by men and inheritance is done through the male line. Um, so the, the fact that she is not conforming to her social place is an important thing about her that not a lot of other women have the, the freedom or even the, the, the interest in doing. Um, they, they, they dress as they're supposed to dress and they work through the politics that women have because women have very complicated and important politics. It's not to, to suggest that what they're doing is, is um, petty or shallow. They are, they are working every bit as hard as the rest of their families to improve their, their success as families. But Stacia is, breaking all of those rules and all of those conventions and turns up in places that she shouldn't have been um, as a, a, a daughter of a wealthy merchant. She should have a completely different role. And she is at 23 years old, considered to be a spinstress. She's going to be single for the rest of her life because her father is not going to marry her to a, a, a merchant's son because it would divide up his inheritance a third time. So she's a spinstress on her own out in the world, being her own person. Um, and so go ahead. I do like that you kept that because I, I, I've had this discussion with people who read a lot of YA and they're like, well, is there what? And I'm like, yes, but you're doing a YA novel and set in a fantasy world and in a fantasy world based on medieval trends, that person's not a YA. They're an adult. Yeah. And at 23 in a medieval world, you are a spinster if you're not married. Mm-hmm. So I like that you you kept that element of really in that kind of a world setting. You are. Mm -hmm. No, the the life expectancy here is probably not older than fifty five or sixty. Um, so she's she's heading off into middle age here soon. Um, yeah, no, they 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 marry very very young because you have to have the opportunity to grow up into. The, the responsibilities of a woman. Mm -hmm. So in the world that she exists, because in the cover, she's very obviously wearing, you know, a pantsuit. Mm -hmm. uh, in medieval time, women would not have been seen wearing pants. Is that true in your world as well? So that makes her stand out even more with her choice of attire? Yes and no. There are women on the King's Guard and they wear brown leather armor with pants. Um, there are, it's, it's a, a river delta um, that floods routinely. And so they have fashion that allows the women to wear really lightweight skirts that tie up at the thigh. And so having leggings that are socially appropriate to get around when the water is up over the banks, very normal. Um, but wandering around like this, especially as a woman with money and status, it's almost rejecting status to do it because that'll be something that working women will do for specific yeah. purposes. Okay. 
Um, so we've talked to a lot about your main character. But what about any secondary characters? Were there any that were especially memorable to you? And if so, could you tell us about them? Absolutely. Um, so she's she's running around with the Kings of Guard, and it's a squad of five soldiers. And the 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 main two who get all of the page time and all of the 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 screen time. Um, they get a lot of, of story and a lot of relationship and a lot of voice. But the other three are actually really fascinating characters, um, Colin and Sterling and Matthias. And Matthias is the kid and he's trying to figure out how to make it with these absolutely larger than life characters and the rest of the group. And in my notes, Colin is simply referred to as the mouth. <laughs> He is sarcastic and he is inappropriate and he is funny and he is flirty and he's always got three girlfriends and he's, he's just a handful. And then Sterling is this passionate and, and detail oriented man who is an artist with a sword. Um, and the three of them, I cannot wait to dig into what their stories are. I think I'm going to end up writing shorts about the three of them at some point or something because they have stories that 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 need to to emerge. And I just don't know if I can ever cram them into the the world of the Queen's Chair because it's already so full. So when you say an artist with a sword, do you mean he's an artist who? artist soul artistic does artistic things but he also carries a sword because he's a soldier or he's just really good with the sword it's a little bit of both he has an artist's soul he's very aware of the world around him in an artistic way but it's mostly that he is one of the best swordsmen that that any of them knows so do you go any into like the type of because you know medieval combat even still they had delineation of roles and types of of troop type of what the king's guard is are they just ceremonial would they be mounted light infantry like do you have did you, did you dive into that sort of angle um a little bit um one of my rules is that there is no gunpowder in this world um and so it changes a lot of the dynamics and trying to work through what is the progression of industry without gun without gunpowder and what does the military look like without gunpowder where everything else has advanced slightly beyond that at the same time um i know that there are people who really dig their historical fiction but historical fiction readers be crazy um, <laughs> And I'm not trying to hit a sense of historical realism for a historical reader. Um, I want to have a sense of an era where you you have potters and you have glass blowers and you have blacksmiths and you have cobblers and you have all of these um, these professions running around doing their thing, but the actual technology in use and that includes the king's guard. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit light on what those details are because this world is not intended to be a, a discussion of a specific place and, and, and time. That said, I will tell you the Kingsguard are mostly a, a, a lightly armed foot group of soldiers. They are not ceremonial at all. Um, where we come in to the story, the king and queen have been seated for many, many years and are very stable and very secure but everybody knows that things are shifting around and that the Kingsguard are going to have to be prepared for um, real, um, real combat and real danger again here in the near future. Um, so they're very engaged and they work really hard to find problems just to keep themselves sharp. 
So with if you ever decide to write the the three companion sort of story, is it going to have that three musketeers vibe to it? Obviously, without the muskets. A little bit. Um, it's it's not the 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 characters are um, and and I've actually written books in two of the other series already. At this point, they're happening. Um, there's no way that these are going to get quashed. But the the casts have occasional overlaps into each other's series, but they are relatively standalone casts in a world that is the setting that, that they share. So they're aware of each other and the things that they do are going to overlap. But um, one of the things that's going on that I really like about these characters, and somebody compared it to uh, Pratchett, where the characters all live in a world and there are things going on that all of them know are going on, but they've all got their own problems and they're all fighting their own wars. Um, and sometimes they bump into each other and sometimes they ask each other for help. And sometimes they actually go against each other because these are not all good people. Um, I have an, an, a ruler of the underworld running around as the lead character in one of these books. And he is not always a good person. He's not always willing to do things for good reasons. Um, but so the, Stasia will only be in the Queen's chair mostly, I think, this this series of books. Um, and and then we'll we'll get to go meet other places in Verida and the the surrounding areas um, and see what else is going on in this world. Okay. So does your story have any bad guys that the uh, main characters have to confront? Obviously, without spoilers, because we want people to read the book. Um, Stasia has people who threaten her life. Um, she is in, in mortal peril more than once. Um, and in the smaller arcs of conflict, there are often other people that she is going up against specifically. Um, as a larger arc, though, a lot of the resistance comes from the city itself. Um, being a, a river delta where the, the, the river splits the city into multiple pieces and the only way people generally cross it are on bridges that are infrequent. You have the city segmented into little pieces that tend to be self-contained and she's trying to navigate being involved in many different ones. Um, and a lot of the conflict is coming from the place itself and trying to, to, to make her life fit into um, places that have very big different expectations and even just the transit conflict is often real. Please tell me there are gondolas involved and they like go around the city with them. We do. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> we ride around in boats sometimes. This does happen. There you go. I approve. I approve this message. All right, Doc, next question is you. Are you sure? Do you want yeah, to ask I don't have any more gondola power? questions? I mean, I so, can probably come up with some more. <laughs> no, JR. If your characters, particularly your main character, met you in a back alley, how do you think that would fare if they knew who you were? I actually think that Stasia lives her life looking for an adventure and a challenge. And while obviously being in mortal peril isn't something that she would choose immediately for herself, this is the life that she wants to be living. Kind of par for the course. Yeah. She wants to go out and find something that challenges her. And and that's a really fun thing for me to go build. Let's go. It's, it's a giant obstacle course. Let's go build a giant obstacle course and call it a book. Yes. So okay. she's got that, uh, that quintessential live hard, die young, and leave a beautiful corpse mentality. I think it's that she doesn't think she's going to lose. But yeah, it's got a little bit of that. Okay. Fair, fair. 
So do you have a favorite character archetype? It's the strong female lead. Yeah, it's it's absolutely her. The the one who understands that because she's powerful, there's kind of a responsibility to use that power outside of herself. Um, and some of that can can steer off into angst really quickly. And I have some very angsty characters who are very concerned with, am I doing the very best right thing I can be doing? Stasia is not like that, but but in that archetype of the the the, the women who go out and change the world because they can. I like that. It doesn't sound like you uh, had to make the male characters lesser to make her more either, which I like. No, I love strong male characters to complement strong female characters. I think that as as a, a pairing, they can accomplish incredible things and and find ways to make that a really interesting relationships. So, do you throw any romance in here? Uh, book one has none. Ooh. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna ride on the the strengths of your swords play. I like it. <laughs> You're just going to go all stabby stabby. Absolutely. They they definitely tell her on more than one occasion. They're not worried about her because they know she will stab the guy. Fair, fair. So I, I like them already. I like does her. She get to, does she get to play with bow and arrows? Because bows are fun. That's my next Not thing in these learn. books, but I will spoil her that, that bows are involved in other books. They're there around and they're, they're in use. So how much real world play do you get with these weapons as, you know, research? Do you go buy swords and swing them for fun? Well, I have a bow staff here in the corner behind me <laughs> um, that I, I like on. to play with just to have the feel of what does a long weapon feel like. Right. Yeah, so you could, there right you go. Time. All right. Um, and I love to, to play with um, wooden practice weapons just to get a feel of, um, how does it feel to have that in your hands and have that kind of a range? I used to do um, blocking out scenes with my brother who did, um, he was a, a competitive fencer at one point and just understood how to think about that stuff. But it's all very, very polite play. <laughs> to, to call me serious would be a, a, a gross overstatement. I mean, I, I almost want to write some fantasy stuff just so I can write off buying all this stuff on taxes, like totally research related. <laughs> I had to have that. Mm -hmm. I, well, I don't know if the IRS is going to go for it, but, you know, I got to try, I right? Think you'll confuse them enough that they'll just say, fine, shut up and go away. <laughs> if you can't Many dazzle words. them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. That's the way you do it. Pretty much. So... Can you give us a sneak peek into how the sausage was made? Were there any scenes that you ended up cutting from the final edition of this book to yes. but saved them to use elsewhere? Yes. Um, this one actually hurt that I, I couldn't make it go. Um, almost all of my fiction comes from, I, I make it up as I go along. I have a, a piece of a character and I have a scene that I'm heading for and I just kind of roll with it. Um, but every once in a while, I will have a dream that I wake up and I have, the dream doesn't make any sense. Dreams just don't do that. But I have the functional pieces of a machine that is a story. And I have the moments from the dream that were really, really emotionally amplified that I can go stick on the machine that is the story. And I had one of those um, with a specific actor that I immediately knew exactly what he was because that's that's the the role that he plays um and it was modern day las vegas and it had all of this weird stuff going on that was really not working for me as a writer because i don't want to go write that but i kept playing with this machine of a story over and over and over again because i really really liked the story of these these two characters 
who um, meet each other at the altar because it's an arranged marriage and it's a power political marriage. Um, and I really, really liked everything about this story. And finally, as I was playing with it, the two of them just fell into Verita like it had been molded for them. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, I should have seen that one coming. And so I had this whole story for these two characters who meet each other as they're getting married and all of the politics that go into it and the two of them trying to figure out how this relationship is going to work. And it's got nothing to do with the queen's chair. It's got nothing to do with any of the stuff that I'm planning on writing. And it's like, no, I have to do this. And that character turned out to be um, the, the lead character in an, another series. Um, but that, that, that story, I've actually written the novella and I'm giving it away on my newsletter as sort of a taste of what this world feels like. And I cannot wait to go write more about these two characters because they're so much fun to play with because they're both of them so powerful unto themselves. See, but but losing it in this context is, yeah. There you go. Another reason to sign up and it'll be linked at the bottom, dear listener. Um, so you said that one of the tropes when you talk about archetypes that you really, really liked was the was that of the strong female character. Other than the obvious reasons why you would be interested in that, is there anything specifically that draws you to that type of story? Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think that partially it's that I really identify with it. It's, it's really easy to say this is the kind of story I want to tell because this is the kind of person I want to be. Um, but I also like the way that women shape the world around them as they go. Um, and they, they have relationships that work differently. And I've, I've written books with male leads. I, I don't have any aversion to that at all. But I really like writing stories where women are shaping the networks <laughs> around them and, um, and, and using those networks to impact the world and also to impact the network itself. Um, I, I love the, the way that, that strong women change the, the the people that they're with um by by seeing them and and that's just a really fun set of stories okay all right so um other so we've talked about the characters that inhabit the world but what about the world itself in many series the world where the story is told is as much a character as the protagonist or antagonist so what can we expect from Ver veranda is that how you say it verida verida mm -hmm. what can we expect from from verida um, Vera is a city of festivals. They mark their festivals, uh, the, their seasons through festivals. They have a, a high water festival when it floods. They have a, 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 a spring festival called the, the Water Lily Festival. And I mark time with the festivals of the, the city. And it's all about how the river flows. Um, you have your high water moment where everything is halfway underwater and everybody goes to their local bridge and parties because it's it's this moment of the the the, the river is is out and and the city is is standing and and everybody just really has a great time um and so there's everything about verita is about the the cyclical nature of the river there um and the 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 magic that is in this world comes from the river it's it's distilled out of the mountains and it comes down to the city through this river. And so everything that happens in Verita is tied to 
where is the local river and what are the, the, the quirks of this branch of the river and what season are we in and what festival are we counting down to? And, and these are the things that all of the people within Verita tend to share as a culture. And, and that's, it's, it's really exciting to, I, I, I have, I have timelines. Oh my gosh. Trying to keep track of which festival is going on in which series, but um those are the things that tie all of these series together is that they they're all celebrating the the way that the river shapes them so does that mean that the uh, like the role of fishing and that sort of thing plays a huge role in the story as well fishing happens but it's a really big city without any outdoor plumbing or oh. any any real indoor plumbing it's not really a river you want to eat out of Fair, fair. So are you a, a child of the sea then? Because you, you wrote such a nautical inspired story. Did you grow up around bodies of water or is it just sound I'm, cool? I'm actually a little bit more of a mountain kid. Um, I, I grew up when I was very small with mountains on the horizon and I couldn't understand that you can't see <gasps> the mountains from certain places in the world. That didn't make sense to me. Um, I've moved away to the flats now, but I still have this sense of the mountains being this really powerful sense of of stationary and 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 fixed in space and time um but it's one of the things that i got started on with tell the detective because i based the city in tell the detective on a real world, world city and i'm building the economics of it and, and how did it get there and where's the money coming from and what do the industries do and all of those things i asked myself a lot of really nerdy questions when i'm building a world um, and was talking to a friend of mine and realized there's no river in this city. And try to name a really big, important city that existed before 1800 that doesn't have a river through it. And, well, I'm stumped, you know? So we, we came up with a couple, but at the same time, river transit was just so critically important to the formation of most of the world before you had internal combustion. Um, so you've got railroads that function, that, that facilitate bigger cities to happen, but most cities happen on rivers for very good reasons. Um, and so I spent a lot of time with Tell just trying to figure out how do you have a, an older city that isn't on a river? And the, the importance of the river at that point really started settling into my, my, my subconscious. And I think it was really only a, a matter of time before I found some place that that river was going to come out and be as important as I was, I was realizing it is in that kind of a time period. That's fair. I noticed that thing. Cause I've been thinking about um, just for, for various reasons. Uh, like when I was overseas in, in Mesopotamia playing around in the deserts, uh, I got home and I realized there was something that always felt odd about it. And I finally placed it years later that you couldn't smell the salt in the air. And mm -hmm. I, you don't, I didn't realize cause I grew up, you know, in a Navy brat around Navy towns that, mm -hmm. you know, that was always just there. And I went to college on a, on the coast. And so you start to realize how much of the, where you're raised shapes sort of your, your view of the world. And it's made me curious. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't imagine not smelling the salts, just like I imagine some people that live in the mountains couldn't imagine flat land or, you know, whatever. How could there be no mountains? It was so confusing right. to my child mind. So uh, the Queen's Chair is clearly part of the series. We know because it says so on Amazon and you talked about it. Um, you mentioned that this is designed right now as a trilogy, which probably will be a quadrology, quadri whatever, four. Um, I does the English people. Um, but do you see uh, her story continuing past that or, or it going longer? 
Um, I really do. I have on a set of post-it notes sitting right here on my board next to me, something called the big bold plan. And I'm being bold. Um, and it calls for another four books in this series sometime out in 2024, 2025 kind of time period. Um, the truth about series for me is that the first four books are just building a machine. You have these characters that, and, and this world, they're going to fit together in a way that does something really interesting. And you don't get to see what that thing is in a real way until book four, because you're still building it until then. But after book four, for me, you have book five is just an exercise of what they're doing. And they evolve and the machine evolves and the world evolves and everything continues to change. The relationships and all of that are, are evolving. They as people change. Um, but I can write a single book at a time after that because we understand how things work and I don't accidentally leave you on a, a cliffhanger. I've done that once or twice in my, my origin series and I really feel bad about when I do that. I don't mean to. Um, but so I, I tend to do a four book series to start with. Yes, I try to do a trilogy, but it never actually works like that. I'm beginning to understand that four books is my pace. Um, and at the end of that, I'm at a point where I have characters who are comfortable with each other and comfortable with the world that they're living in and how they fit there. And now they can go out and they can just change things that are problems. They can go against enemies. They can, they can deal with problems. Um, and so that's how I normally write my series where I have a, a series that is happy, but I don't really understand how to say that it's done because they aren't. They're, they're just happy. They exist where they are and they can be content there. And I will frequently go through and look at my series and say, which of these do I want to write another book in this year if I can get another book done? Because all of them could have another book because the characters aren't just going to retire and go sit on a farm somewhere. They're going to keep doing what they do. And I love going in and catching up with that again. So when you go back and catch up with them, do you let time have passed since the last book or you pick up where the last one left off generally? Usually it's the next day. Um, but I do have a series that there's a couple of years missing between the, the three origin books and the next one that I haven't actually put out yet. I need to get through the production schedule on that and get it out. Um, and I'm wondering how that reaction is going to happen because I know that people are more used to my stories picking up just about where they left off. There's no real time. Sometimes it's a whole season has passed, but it's not big periods of time where, where everybody has changed and the situation is new and we have to go rediscover it. Um, I, I, I liked to, to pick up where the, the last story is and, and start the, the new upswing at a very familiar moment. You sound like uh, you have the same problem I do. When people ask, oh, how do you get your story ideas? And I just keep thinking, how do you turn them off? <laughs> I've never met a short story I couldn't turn into a David Weber-length series if you give me a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I feel you on the trilogies always becoming more. Mm -hmm. So, Doc, you get to ask your favorite tech questions in Magic. Okay. So, obviously, this is a fantasy world, but... Mm -hmm. And it's a consistent rules are kind of key, I think, for for these kind of worlds, whether and, and, and by these kind of worlds, I mean, any world in speculative fiction. Is there any magic you would want to take out of this world and keep with you? I really am jealous of healing magic in general because it simplifies so many things. Um, but if there were one piece that I could take out of this world, it would be those dragon skins. 
oh, I want those dragon skins so bad. So how would you abuse having them? I think that I would either wear them way too much. They'd be the new yoga pants. <laughs> or I would not wear them enough because I'm just not that bold. Be bold. Be brave. Yes. Yes. Fine. Just put a nice tunic on with it and you're good. <laughs> She's got a cape. I know. I she love so badass. That is one I would love to see co somebody cosplay that. It would be amazing. Yeah. So so you you have a thing for capes? I love capes. It's a very polarizing topic I found. Some people are like, absolutely love them. Capes make the look awesome. And other people are like, no, capes are dangerous. They're bad. They're stupid. And they should have never been put in. I went to Dragon Con wearing a cape that my husband made for me and black leather pants and this really tight shirt. And we found this section in between three of the buildings where the wind just came in constant. Oh, I know where you're talking about. And I stood there with this cape with the, the the hood billowing out and the cape blowing back behind me. And my friend, who is is a, a, a very serious dabbler in photographer into photography, just running around taking pictures. And I felt so cool. <laughs> I loved it. I, I love capes. I mean, they do look cool. I've seen the arguments both ways, and I laugh. So, <laughs> Jr., do you have a camp? Which are are you camp cape or are you like weird? For ceremonial purposes, I think I think they look cool, so I'm totally there. But for practicality, they're going to get caught in everything. I mean, it's just. It's I gonna... think they take a knack, and I think that you have to 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 have somebody who knows what they're doing to design it. And then you have to know what you're doing in order to not get them tangled up in everything. But I believe, I can't prove it because I don't have this knack, but I believe that there is a knack to capes. I believe that I would rather have a cape than a train on my dress. Okay. Well, oh, what, yeah. What about the difference? Is, is there a difference between a cape and a cloak, cloak to you? Because, I, you know, they, they serve similar functions or can. They do. When I use those two words, a cloak has a hood and a cape doesn't, which means that I've just misused it because mine definitely had a hood. But the, the the cape can be just a shoulders down where the cloak is more of a traveling thing with, with weather keeping off and all of that going on. So a shawl could be a mini cape. Okay, I'm down. JR, do you want me to knit you a shawl? I don't know what I would do with it, but sure, why not? <laughs> you, you like stabbing the yarn? As long as you're not stabbing me, I'm okay with it. It goes on the wall as a token. There you go. <laughs> All right, Doc. Move this shit forward. We don't want to scare people away with our stabby, stabby nonsense. Okay. So, uh, did you create any fantastic creatures for this universe? Oh, absolutely. Um, the... The, the magic creatures that live in Verita are familiar and they're humanoid. The pixies have wings, but they're just short humans with, with cultural affectations. Okay. But up, up in the mountains where the mountains are the heart and the seat of magic are a lot of other fey races that are a lot less familiar and a lot more cut of, of whole cloth of imagination. Um, and, and we get to go run across a lot of them in a later book as we're off traveling through the mountains. 
But do they sparkle in the sun? There are no sparklies. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like glitter. What did did you call glitter? Say that one more time for the people in the back. Glitter is crafting STDs. It it is. It's it's a house STD. It absolutely is. It's the bane of every parent's existence when it comes to arts and crafts. Uh, yeah, no. I had a friend come over and she wanted help with a costume and she brought busted out some glitter and I made her go sit on the patio and do it and she goes it's cold out there and I went it's glitter no <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, before we we you know start the wind down process dear listener uh, we've talked about the the role of glitter in the arts and crafts world the role of capes and shawls and, and cloaks and if you have opinions on any of those things be sure to weigh in on the comments on the facebook section uh, and join the conversation we'd love to hear what you think and you could tell chloe why she's wrong or right about capes and, and all the things she, she'd love to hear it um and before we let you go because because we have to do this pineapple on pizza yay or nay oh absolutely not we like her she stays all right <laughs> No, I don't like missing mixing my sweets and savories as a rule. So it just is it's a, it's a no non-starter. Fair, fair. All right, so uh, clearly this is winding down, but before we wrap this up, was there anything about the Queen's Chair or the world of Verida that we didn't ask you that you want to tell us before we move on? I would actually love to talk just a second about uh, card playing culture, which is one of the things that I found here that really just just characterizes the world in a different way. Um, the the people within Verita carry a bag of dice and a deck of cards that is their own everywhere they go. And sitting in public on their own, it's not unusual for a stranger to sit down and ask for a game of cards. Um, and so I'm I'm working on creating rules for a number of different dice and card games. I'm looking forward to putting out a pamphlet of rules of dice and card games of Verita. And I am hoping later this year to actually have cards with symbols from the different series on custom printed on them. So I, 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 I'm really excited about the, the, the cards and dice that are going on in Verita as well. So are you going to Kickstarter that then? I might do it. It, it will take bravery, but I might do that. So that sure. sounds like a lot of fun. Do, do you like card games? What's your favorite card game? I love card games. I love Nerds, which is a, a speed card game. that's also known as Dutch Blitz. Mm-hmm. Where you're, you're, everybody has their own deck of cards and you're playing through. It's a, a solitaire esque kind of a game, trying to get down to the bottom of your stack of cards before anybody else does. And then you yell nerds. And it's one of those games that you can get all of the, the, the members of the family who are willing to play speed card games, which is usually all the women, um, and, and just play for hours and hours and hours. And I, I, I yeah, I like standard deck of card games because they're, they're, they tend to be very simple, but very, very thoughtful at the same time. And those are a lot of fun. That sounds like a blast. So do you already have an outline of how, like, how many suits would you have? It's it's going to be a standard deck of cards. Um, and it so- may be something that I evolve at some point into custom suits, but still the four familiar suits. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's one of those how how deep down this rabbit hole do I want to go? Um, but it's it's the 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 way that I play it in the books is four standard suits of cards, and there are a lot of bidding type games and a lot of trick styled games, and 
roll the dice and and add them up to find all of the tens and and just you know familiar simple math games that you sit down and play with a stranger because everybody knows these games they all grew up with them so what made you decide to add that in that's a unique take on on going that in depth into that um it was really really early in book one i think we sit down at a bar with stacia she doesn't know a soul um, and Colin the mouth sits down next to her and says, have you ever seen a bar fight? And she says, yes, I have. Thank you. He says, you want to see another one? She's like, I am just fine. Thank you. And he says, then you should probably leave now. Um, and she, <laughs> and she sits at the bar through a massive bar fight while the rest of the, the squad is just sitting in the corner, drinking beer and playing cards. And they wait out the fight and then they clear out the bar. And that's that's part of their role at this particular bar is they're broom pushers at the end of the night. And, and they escort the, the drunk fighters out when things have 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 cooled. Um, and so the, the the four of them sitting at a corner table playing cards, waiting for a bar fight to finish just felt like such a cultural moment that I wanted to take that as a seed and move it out through all of the rest of the experiences that these people had. And also just sitting down and playing a, a game of cards is something that I grew up with being very normal in my family. You, you clear the dishes after dinner and somebody gets out a deck of cards and start shuffling. And that's an invitation. A, a shuffled deck of cards is an invitation to come play. And I liked that sense of this is what you do with your time. And, and, and this is how you relate to other people. And, and it's okay to meet strangers doing this. Yeah. Um, and, and it just, and it, it became a social lubricant that was really um, charming to me. The, they have, um, I mean, some games that they found going all the way back to, to ancient Mesopotamia. There's a game that is still played that was played in the 1600s in naval ships called Shut the Box, which is a dice game. And you're trying to, you know, put the, put the numbers down. So, I mean, I, I get it and it's period correct. So I think that's kind of cool, but it's definitely unique. But you, you mentioned bar fights. So have you gotten any bar fights lately? Unfortunately, I am tragically boring. <laughs> uh, you haven't lived until you've gotten to a bar fight or 10. I'll and go so looking for just, one. Maybe it's just the army in me. I don't know. That also could <laughs> no, be why that's I was a, you. <laughs> maybe that could be why I was uh, a Velcro corporal. I don't know. But sometimes there's just nothing else to do, so why not? You know, JR, it's okay. <laughs> uh Anyway, you have, to have something to write about one day. I didn't think when I was doing all that nonsense that I would use it for for story filler. And the funny thing is, is when you have an interesting life or you do things, and I don't even think mine was that interesting, and you try to write it down in your book for real, your editors would be like, "That's not realistic. No one will no really kidding. do that." And I'm just like, "Oh, okay. We didn't do that at such and such time in such and such place. It's totally not us." Yep. No, I love the the author stories of stuff that they actually did that their their readers come and say this is so unrealistic. This doesn't happen in the real world. It, the real world is so big and weird. Pop. Yes, weird. Yes. Well, you know, they used to say that. I don't know given the current timeline and we won't go political cuz I'm all over the map on that stuff, but anybody that had told me what was going on now from both parties in the U.S. would have happened 10 years ago. I told them they were smoking crack. That's some fiction level stuff. And now what I thought was, you know, wacky and fun fiction is reality. So I, I just, I don't even think about it twice. Although there are some authors I know who've gotten it right too often. I'm like, nope, put your pen down. It's time to retire. 
We can't take any more of this. Yes. Yep. It's it's the Babylon Bee's pledge to only write positive satire because they got tired of being wronged. They got tired of being right so often with their negative satire. Yes. So, and, and when you can't tell the satire from the fiction, you're like, wait a minute, is this satire? Is this real? Mm -hmm. When you can't tell, you know, you live in a wacky timeline. Yeah, I've and had that happen. And that's as close as po to politics as we're going to get, unless it's politics of a in-universe awesomeness. Or but pineapple that, on pizza. Or pineapple <laughs> on pizza. We do have some opinions there. Uh, but before we let you go, dear listener, dear viewer, uh, we would like to remind you that your thoughts matter. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your thoughts help the right readers find the right books. And sometimes even the bad reviews will sell it to you. So I've said it once and I'll say it again. It sounds like a 12-year-old with ADHD wrote gun porn. I'm there every day and twice on Sunday. So share your thoughts. And uh, if you can't do it on Amazon, do it on Barnes & Noble. If you can't do it on Barnes & Noble, do it on Goodreads. If you don't have a Goodreads, start a website and, and become a book blogger. There you do go. the things, people. And um, yeah, it's important and it's fun. And then you can start arguments in bars and maybe get your first bar fight. Woo! I mean, you got to yeah, have inspiration. If you get into a bar fight over... Uh books there are only a few conventions i can probably name where that that would happen they're <laughs> well worth going to what no dragon, dragon con is not one of them we Liberty don't get con into bar fights at dragon con we get into heated wonderful debates of, within our community but what we do not get into fights i'm thinking liberty con there's too many veterans there for it not to be the case i am going to Plead the fifth. <laughs> All right. Well, we will move on. If you've been in any interesting bar fights, share that in the comments below <laughs> when we talk <laughs> about this episode. But uh, Chloe Gardner, as we wrap this up, can you tell listeners how they can find you? Absolutely, yes. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I am Blender Fiction. I am blenderfiction at wordpress.com for my website. That's going to be one of the, the places that I update most often. And, and I put many words onto my website. I am, I am a woman of many words. Um, and the, the best place to keep track of me is through my newsletter. You can sign up on the, the link that they've got here, or you can pull it off of my website. But that's where I really make sure that, that if you, if you want to keep up with what I'm up to, that's the place to keep up. Okay, and that will all be linked below. Where did Blender Fiction come from? Um, Blender Fiction is the sense that I take all of the fiction that I eat and blender it. And that's what my fiction comes out of. It's sort of the, the rootstock and the, 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 the soil fertilizer of my own fiction is, is blundered up fiction from everything else. Okay, I was just simple. I just did jrhanley.com because I won't forget my own name, I don't think, maybe. But, you know, Blender Fiction is kind of cool, too. And uh, you can find us on the interwebs on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. That is an actual real address, people. That one is. Uh, <laughs> you can join all the shenanigans on Facebook at Blasters and Blades Facebook group, which is facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We have our website at anchor.f 
anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where you can also support the show for as little as 99 cents a month you will help keep the light on it's very much the patreon model which is again anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades or you could support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley where uh be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-host doc seska and nick garber duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders never surrender (laughs) all right doc bring us home thank you for sending your precious this time with and us we broke her. for the absentee Nick Garber who's training. What? You, you froze right when you were doing the goodbye. It's like you didn't want to leave us. <laughs> no, you I've been trying for years. Her? She's awesome. I'll keep her. Uh, so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee Nick Garber who's training. Uh, JR Seska, this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, indulging our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, torturing JR, and of course, all things that go boom. Woo-woo. And no pineapple on pizza. <laughs> <laughs>